Hey everyone, this is your therapy session with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mazur, aka Portland Hairstylist. worked in a toxic environment or you yourself have been toxic? Well, I have. I've not only worked in an environment where it seems that the toxicity is so thick that it's running off the walls, but I've also been a toxic person to others as well as myself. Well, what is a toxic environment and how do people get there? Lori Eberly, founder of Radius and co-author of Fuckery, answers just that. Radius is a company that takes a full circle approach to optimize team and individual potential to improve business results, which means Lori is hired to help you siphon through your toxic behaviors that not only hinder your potential as a leader, but your team's potential to grow. Primarily, her focus is with CEOs and managers of big companies and sole proprietors. But because of COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter, her direction has changed. Her book, Fuckery, which was co-authored with Jonathan Sable, is jam-packed with identifying bad habits. Attacking, complaining, manipulating, you name it, it's in there. But it's not a book to cast judgment on you. It's a tool. A tool to identify your bad habits and a tool to help you siphon through your bullshit so that you can be a stronger leader and have a stronger team. Here's an interview with Lori Eberly, founder of Radius and co-author of Fuckery. Interview done on June 14th, 2020. Okay, everybody. So I am here with Lori Eberly. Um, she, she is a client of mine. <laughs> and, and I've known you, uh, well, I've seen you since 2017. So first of all, before we discuss why you're on this show, how did you find me? I found you through um, one of your clients, which I imagine is um, word of mouth is, is how you are likely found regularly. And it was Katie Watkins that had been coming in to see you. And oh, I, I know her through the Portland Playhouse. And I think that I saw some really awesome unicorn hair that you would get yeah. her on Instagram. <laughs> I think I've colored her hair some funky colors at least twice. The last yeah. one I did kind of a tropical theme. So yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> so I, I came in first, I think, just for, um, you know, a typical cut and color for a mm -hmm. um, not very risk-taking 40-year-old lady look. Yeah. And you have helped me go bolder shades of red and you have helped me try purple, which you said is the gateway color. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and I have really enjoyed that. And, and I will also say that I've had curly hair forever. Mm -hmm. And over the last several years when going straight and sleek has been all the rage, I have tried to do that too. And it's been exhausting. And over the last three years with you, you have helped me love and take care of my curls. I love it. Uh, now, question: Have you yes. had your? Uh, have you trimmed your own hair since 
okay, well, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm I'm pretty sure there's going to be a little bit of uh, fine tuning some stuff that clients have done during quarantine. Yeah, right, um, right. So, no, I mean, and your curls look fantastic, too. Oh, well, thank you. You know, um, not that, I grew up in Virginia, so when people call Oregon humid, I kind of laugh about that. Yeah. It has been a, a little bit humid, and, um, you know, if I can get myself in and out of the shower and maybe put a little product on it, like, that's good, but um, this, this is um, how you show up on a podcast with your hairstyle yeah. during, during COVID. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Now, you guys, now the reason that I have Everly on the show is she is the author of a book called Fuckery, along with Jonathan Sable, mm-hmm. and she also has a company called Radius, and it has to do with identifying bad, bad habits, toxic yeah. habits in the work environment and learning how to recognize that and how to solve that with a team environment. Yeah. Now, yeah. Th- the reason why this is so important to me is, well, for one, I, I love interviewing uh, people with, I don't, not, I don't know if it's interesting topics, but, but this topic is important because I could apply this when I have my own salon. Yeah. And this also could be applied to other salons as well as other businesses. So who is mostly your focal point for like, who's been reaching out for you for these services? Uh, Yeah, thanks for the question. So um, it may be two different answers. So when the book published in 2016, um, it was written by, by John and I, as you mentioned, and John is a mechanical engineer who has worked in the semiconductor industries specifically for the last 25 years or so in varying leadership roles. And then my role in the last 10 years has been as an executive coach and um, I do some leadership development, organizational development across industries, but I got my start in tech. So most of my business is in large companies. um, And by large, I mean like 10,000 employees and these are global companies, both tech and construction, and I've done a lot of work in um, healthcare, uh, that's where my social work background is in. Mm-hmm. So the, if, when, when, when you write a book or when you start a podcast, um, any good marketer or PR person will be like, who's your ideal client? Who's your ideal yeah. client? <laughs> and, and you know, you and I were just talking about my website, and, and when Ciara Pressler did that for me last year, she's like, okay, who is your ideal client that you want to come and find radius because that's who you're speaking to and and you really find that like avatar and my avatar for my website is a 45 year old white mechanical engineer named Karen right like (laughs) super specific so (laughs) now not the Karen not the Karen suburban mom (laughs) which is well partially there (laughs) yeah yeah well no but thank you for saying that Emily because that's been the primary work of radius for the last 10 years but the truth is like you my biggest audience who I have the most access to are middle-aged white men and women. And yes, some of you are suburban, but because I live in Portland, um, more specifically, it's white progressive liberal leaders who are probably middle or upper class, and they are in middle management, senior management, or running their business. So that's been the work of my business. But but I always have also really connected with women in their 30s and 40s who mm-hmm. are going through an existential crisis 
they're maybe returning to work after they've been home taking care of their kids, or they're figuring out how to start their own business while they're taking care of their kids, or they've been working for five, 10, 15 years in one particular industry and sector, and they're like, I'm not feeling connected to my purpose anymore, and I want to feel connected. How do I rebrand myself and know how I want to show up for the next phase of my life? So those are sort of the different um, audiences that uh, my work seems to resonate with. Um, well, and it's interesting because you were going back to you know some of these bigger companies, like 10,000 employees. Mm-hmm. When you're doing a discussion like this or you're working with a company, are they smaller? Like, so are, is it just management and then, you know, CEOs or does it go down to also talking to employees? Yeah, uh, good question. So most of my work is one-on-one and that is my strength. There are folks that are excellent at working at things at a systemic level. There are folks that only want to talk with the business owners and the CEOs um, and, and do the organizational systemic work. And we have folks at my company who do that, but my greatest superpower is empathy. Mm-hmm. And that shows up one-on-one, like us right here, and me being able to truly work at listening and understanding and reflecting with one person. And that is what shaped the book fuckery. And that is how I am trying to show up currently um, in regards to Black Lives Matter and where I think I have the most potency yeah. is helping people to look in the mirror and say, I'm not a terrible person. And I also know that there's, I have some blind spots and there's Mm -hmm. some things that I could work on that would help me certainly show up at work. If I own a salon, this is going to help me lead a team. This is going to help me figure out how I want to show up in my community, right? So that one-on-one work, but then of course it bleeds into How does this show up in my personal relationships? How does this show up in my friendships? How does this show up with my mom? Um, Because I don't believe that there's any clear distinction between who we are personally and who we are professionally. Okay. Well, before we, um, before I go over the list, (laughs) some of the things that I feel like that I do things that are toxic, you know, so before we start getting into that, which that's going to be fun. (laughs) Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so now the book was written, was it written in 2016 or published or? It published in 2016 and it took us about two years to write. Okay. It. Now, how did you and Jonathan meet? John hired me as an executive coach to work with three of his senior directors a few years before that. And so he was a uh, um, uh, VP or GM in his, in his company at the time. And he knew that the leaders on his team needed additional mentorship to grow their leadership. And John's naturally a really good coach and cares a lot about his employees' professional development, but he recognized that he was not investing in that part of their leadership. And so he paid me to do that. And so I worked with him through working with the folks um, that worked for him over, I don't know, a one or two year period. And, you know, you know, Emily, because I, I I'm sure it's very similar with your clients. You you like all your clients and you welcome all those relationships, but there's just some people that you really, really click with. Mm-hmm. And John, John was one of my former clients that I just really clicked with. Um, was it, how did the concept of the book come up? And then how did the concept of you guys working together on the book? Hmm. Um, whatever your word is for 
serendipity or nudging of the universe or it was meant to be. Um, so John and I have had this multi-year professional relationship around developing his team. And he said, and, and we would meet once a month when he'd come up from California and we'd have dinner to talk about the professional development. And um, in between our monthly dinners, he texted me something like, I have an idea we'll discuss next time we meet. And like, that was it. And it was super quick. You know, it's like, <laughs> we were like, what the hell? <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> right. But, but that's totally classic John. So I was yeah. like, all right. So mm -hmm. I had no idea. There was no context wrapped around that. And then about two weeks later, I was on a plane coming back from California where I had seen, um, one of the senior directors that reported to him. And, and that work was closed, but sometimes I stay in touch with my clients, just like you and I are doing right now. And I had seen what incredible movement and change, behavioral changes this former client had made. And I was like, yes, I know that I can um, be effective one-on-one, -on -one, but I also think that this isn't some magic sauce that couldn't be repeated. I would love to write down what worked with this one client so other people can learn from those same patterns. And so I got up while I'm sitting on the plane waiting for it to take off. I texted John and I said, can't wait to see you and hear your idea. I have an idea too. I want to write a book together. We had never talked about doing that. I mean, if you know John Sable, you would not be like, that guy wants to write a book, right? Like not at all what he presents. And then I put my phone on airplane mode. Two hours later, I land in Portland and his response to my text is, that was the idea I wanted to talk about with you. Yeah, well, that's so funny because you kind of left him hanging just like <laughs> he did with you. Could be, you know, yeah. in the inside, maybe you were kind of thinking about that <laughs> when you got on the plane. No, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so what is fuckery? Fuckery, as we define it, is bad habits that damage trust. And we didn't make up the word. Um, if you look up Urban Dictionary, there's some really good definitions of how other people, uh, you know, define fuckery. And, and for us, it is both the really blatant things that people can be like, oh, yeah, I can see that bullying is fuckery. I can see that gossiping is fuckery. I can see that backstabbing is fuckery, right? Like, those are kind of obvious. But the, the book and what I work on with clients is let's not only pay attention to the really glaring things. Let's look at how Lori's perfectionism gets in the way of her doing good work. Let's look at how Lori's analysis paralysis, because she's overthinking everything, gets in the way of her actually doing something. Let's look at the way Lori, who's a really kind person, um, when she's on her soapbox, can be kind of patronizing, not kind of, can be patronizing and condescending in certain contexts. So helping clients to recognize where and how that shows up and how they can reduce it. Um, so Radius was created 10 years ago. Is that right? I started coaching clients about 10 years ago. I had had a 10-year um, career as a hospice social worker and I left because I had a terrible boss and I write about that terrible boss in yeah. Calgary. I call, I call her Nurse Ratchet. Um, so about four years, I did some freelancing for, for someone who had been consulting for many, many years. 
And then in 2014, I got my LLC and started practicing under my own brand. So I've been operating as Radius for six years. Now, all of this list, because, and I guess I'll just say it, analysis, paralysis, avoiding conflict, blaming, bullying, channel diplomacy, gossiping, hubris, ignoring boundaries, interrogating, narcissism, patronizing, playing victim, work around and go to the hell pile? Did I list all of them? (laughs) Well, you listed, I think the notor- uh, uh, notorious fuckery okay if you if you go to the back of the book or if you go to everlyandstable.com there will be um, a drop down menu tools and you can go to the appendix oh, okay. and there there you will find like 180 oh, okay. different versions of fuckery and the list is endless this is just what john and i Literally one one day back in probably 2014 or 2015, we sat in my office and we just started thinking about every form of fuckery that we had experienced. And um, what's really both dangerous and clever about human beings is that if I want to manipulate you, <laughs> um, I can I can figure out exactly what to do to get you specifically to do what I want and. Um, maybe it's not something I've done before, but, um, the way that our, our habits show up really varies based on my relationship with Emily, my relationship with Scott, my relationship with John, my relationship with my boss. And so some places I will show up as a people pleaser and in other places I will show up super self-righteous and trying to put you in your place. So both of those forms of fuckery live in me. Okay. Um, the question, I guess, like this whole list, did uh-huh. you have this list when you started your company or no, you guys created the list for the book? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, when I, when I got my LLC for Radius, I had not yet begun the work of fuckery and my work as a social worker means that I have 20 some years of listening to people's stories and building relationships. And, and utilizing my empathy to deeply connect with people. And it's using those social work skills in a business setting and having you know six-month relationships with leaders and business owners like yourself where you really begin to trust me and I'm able to say, Emily, I love how creative you are. I love how friendly and personable you are. I love that you're willing to take risks and that you are constantly like pushing your own edges and you never keep things the same, right? So I see what some of your strengths are. And then you're able to, because we have a relationship, hear hard feedback from me. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so um, not that we need to, you know, open the skeleton closet right here on air, but if I was working with you in a coaching relationship, I might be like, so you're a real visionary and you have like a hundred different things that you want to do. I wonder if there's sometimes that because you have so many ideas, you start a whole lot of projects and then you don't finish them. Has that ever gotten in your way? That would be the kind of question. It's funny too. It's like, I'll talk about these projects. Like I I talked about the podcast with you like a long time ago. And it's, and I think what it is, is like, I think I talk, yeah, you're right. I do have a ton of ideas um, and I'll talk about stuff and then eventually I get to it 
but it might be like way down the road or, you know, I've, I've bagged some stuff too, for sure. And, And so the fuckery is not that you don't immediately follow up. The fuckery would only show up if you already owned your salon and there were team players that were relying on you. And you said, hey, y'all, we are going to specialize. We are only doing rad color. That is what I want our brand to be known for. And you you message that to everyone. And you're like, we don't just do any traditional cut and color here. If you got everybody on board for that, and then you woke up one morning and you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. And you no. showed up the next day after you'd had everyone in your salon change their mind. They'd be like, yeah, I feel played, Emily. Um, I love all your great ideas and you had us really excited and then you change your mind in the middle of the night and now you want us to specialize in pixie cuts. I mean, that that's where it would show up as fuckery. When it's just you as a single entrepreneur, you can get away with a lot more. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, totally. <laughs> you nailed that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard because I get so excited about things. And that is, that is one of the things that I get worried about. And I've thought about that is making sure to do the follow through in a proper time. If I'm going to have people involved, like owning my salon, it scares me. It scares uh-huh. me to think of owning a salon. Like I'll get super passionate with it. I'm still looking at places to lease, but what uh-huh. scares me is having people rely on me, even though I do yeah. feel like I'm a solid person Yes. and, and I know I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but I, yeah, that is definitely one of the, uh-huh. one of the things that I have a hard time with. So uh-huh. the follow through in an adequate time. Right, right. Okay. So I talked to another female business owner in the Pearl who literally is like a block from your shop where you, where you cut. Um, And these are things we talk about. How do we improve the follow through and how do we call her in on her overcommitment? Because if, if I'm making a ton of commitments to myself about all the work I want Radius to do the rest of 2020, that's cool. You know, like if I let myself down, I do that every day. But when we have other people depending on us and we don't have follow through or we overcommit and we have 400 balls in the air, then we begin to let people down. And if we have trust and I'm I'm working for you, I'm like, oh, I love working for Emily. She's got all this great energy and she cares so much about her family. And so she's so, she's so um, flexible with mine and she understands that if my kids get sick and I can't show up, whatever, like there's so many awesome things that that I love about Emily. And if you were consistently at your monthly check-in with your, you know, employees, your contractors saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then you never followed through. They're going to be like, we love Emily, but she's kind of like a fart in the wind. <laughs> so that, so recognizing how that shows up in you. And instead of saying, oh God, I suck. That you say, Lori says a lot of people struggle with this. Lori says that I'm not alone, that a lot of us struggle with power through. Do you how, yeah, no. So how, instead of me going, I suck, you self-critic who's going on and on yeah. about, you're bad, you're bad. How do I instead go, what is one thing I can do tomorrow to help me have better power there you through? Go. Just, just one thing. Do, do people get freaked out? Like when they hire you, it's like, oh shit. <laughs> like oh no it is it's like that self-critic like oh my god I feel vulnerable I feel exposed like I don't like this 
yes, it's hard. Yes. It's hard to it's, hear your own criticism, you know, it is. But um, so I feel that probably the people you connect with, they're open to learning about yeah. themselves just as much as other people. Yes, absolutely. So to your first question, do people get freaked out? I can absolutely promise you I have freaked clients out. Um, I didn't, before I started coaching, I would never have considered myself intense because to me, intense are really dominant in your face, um, powerful people that maybe abuse their power. And I didn't see myself that way, but when I knew from doing hospice work, which is deeply spiritual work and very warm and fuzzy, soft social work, you know, we're talking about death and dying and we're talking about family dynamics and I'm holding old ladies' hands in their bedrooms, right? I mean, it, there's a lot of real feminine caregiving that's in hospice. When I left that work and started working in tech, which is largely male and largely white, with a whole lot of wealth and super educated people, I saw intensity in folks who, you know, are running multi-million dollar organizations, right? That's another kind of intensity. But I realized, Emily, that if I look at you and I say, how do you feel about yourself when you let people down? That that question is pretty fucking intense, <laughs> right? So when I hold up a mirror and I say, okay, let's talk about all your strengths, we're going to do that first, but then we're going to really focus on how you let specifically, we'll make up, um, you know, Katie works with you, right? Yeah. Let's talk about the feedback you got from Katie. And Katie said that she felt like you totally sold her out. Let's talk about that. And I don't want to hear your excuses. I want you to own, Emily, how you sold Katie out. So holding people accountable is intense. How, now, how often do you meet with these people that you've been coaching? Because it sounded like with Jonathan, you met him on a monthly basis. I met him on a monthly basis um, to, as an accountability measure, because I was working with three of his senior directors. Okay. My clients, I generally work with every other week. Um, okay. their, their schedules are really full. Uh, to meet every week seems to be a little bit too much yeah. and to meet every three weeks makes it really hard for me to build momentum. So over these years, the general sort of coaching package um, when I'm working with large companies is every other week for six months. Yeah. When, when I'm working with, say, if you hired me and uh, you were like, Lori, I want to get my salon off the ground. I want to really take a look in the mirror and understand my strengths and my fuckery before I do that that package tends to be five or six, um, a commitment to meet me five or six times because I can't do that much work in, you know, in one visit. Yeah. So we, we meet together five or six times, um, you know, in the olden days in person, um, now either via Zoom or phone call. And I still prefer every two weeks unless you had like a specific problem. Like if you were like, Lori, COVID just hit and I got to figure out how I'm laying off employees and I got to figure out how I'm leading through a pandemic then we might meet once a week for four weeks because there's more crisis involved. And then when do you start, do you do check-ins with your past clients? Oh uh, yeah. Um, if I've worked with someone for six months and I've, we've, I've been showing up at least every other week, 
uh, over those last couple months, I'm trying to slowly cut those apron strings, right? Oh, because yeah. I, 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 want, I want to teach and allow those folks to go out and do the work and not be too dependent on me. So if you and I end our work on June 1st, then I'm going to schedule that we have a call six weeks out. And okay. I'm going to be like, how's it going? How are you practicing what we've been doing? Where are you being successful, Emily? And what's, what are you finding is hard to put into practice that we've been talking about so that I can kind of inoculate you so that you're like, oh, yeah, I totally know how to do this. Um, yeah. I yeah. Mean, and then the informal check-ins come where they, you know, drop me an email or are following me on LinkedIn or, you know, just saying, hey, I want to let you know that um, I utilize the skills we learned. Nice. And that's, Sometimes they want to have like a check-in call. Hey, can I hire you to have for a one-hour call next week? Something came up. And then it's just maintenance, like, you know, car maintenance. Do you help problem solve too? Like if they call you like, hey, I'm in a jam. This yeah. is what's going on. Like, so you help them with that also. Yes. Um, and my philosophy as a coach is that if you call me with a problem about your business, no matter how long I've worked with you or how much I know you, I will never know as much about your business as you. Yeah, yeah. So my problem-solving approach is to be a sounding board for you. And let's say I'm listening to you and you're like, Lori, I have no idea what to do. I might say something like, well, Emily, I've heard you say you could go this route, route A, mm -hmm. and you could go this route, route B. There could be other options, but if I forced you to choose right now, would you go A or B? And then enforcing you to do that. So, so you can do this a couple things, right? You can be like, I really feel closer to, to choice A. And then mm -hmm. I might be like, that's what I'm hearing you too. I hear a lot more excitement in you saying choice A. And so that just sort of validates or confirms that you knew that all along. Or maybe you go, oh, I don't know, A or B, but I think B. And I'd say, why do you think B? And then I would allow you to talk through that so you find more clarity. And if, and then I might hear back to you. Yeah. I, you know, I, it, I, I can see that you are really want to choose B, but I'd encourage you to talk with your salon owner friend before you make a decision so that she who knows more about your business can really push on you a little bit more. Or I might say, it sounds like you're clear about B, but can I go back when you were talking about A, Emily, I watched your face light up. I watched you like come alive when you were talking about choice A. And when you talk about choice B, can I just make a reflection? And I'm going to ask your permission and you're going to probably say yes. And I'm going to say, I think option B you like because it's a safety choice. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'm just, offer, <laughs> I, I'm just going to offer it as an observation because Lori may or may not be right. I'm just there to hold the space with you so that you can come up with your own conclusions. Um, now, have you worked with people that are uh, wanting to create a business or it's mostly businesses that already exist? Um, both. Um, when I do large contracts with big companies, it's leaders that are well-established and they're wanting to lead better. When I do one-on-one -on -one work with folks where it's more like we're going to meet five or six times, I'd say about 70% of those are with women who are wanting to open a business. Oh, that's so cool. And so you've actually seen people create businesses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's mm -hmm. really cool. That it's, they either come into my life right when they've, you know, hung their little shingle or incorporated mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, now what? 
or I meet with people who are right on that edge. Maybe they got their license, maybe they've come up with their business plan, maybe they're looking at space, but they haven't fully launched. And so I see my job there is to like light a fire under your ass mm -hmm. and, and help to hold you accountable and the places where you feel insecure to be like, you got this, Emily, you got mm -hmm. this. Let's, let's remember all the things that you've got going for you and everything you're feeling scared and worried about is totally normal. So let's just name it and say it out loud so you can move forward. Um, which I was looking at this list or, um, what yeah. you guys had written in the book. I didn't look at the back page. Yeah, that's all right. I think blaming. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think blaming. I think when I get upset, I have a tendency of maybe bullying a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I can get into interrogating for sure. Mm -hmm. It's just like, if I feel that my, my character or anything like what I've done is being, um, if I feel threatened, yeah, yeah, you know, usually like I'm a fun, you know, bubbly person, but I can just yes. all of a sudden just put all that emotional stuff away and yeah. I get super intense. I get mm -hmm. really assertive. And sometimes mm -hmm. that freaks people out because they've never mm -hmm. seen that before. <laughs> yeah. yeah they're like oh shit Emily's pissed yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. um and yeah. I realize well, first of all it's not healthy to do to anybody it's not fair to them mm -hmm. and so I I do try to take a moment and instead of just getting heated up and blah like just yeah you know on somebody I I try to take a moment and just calm myself down mm -hmm. so do you have um, tools or anything that you help people like, Hey, if you get like this, this will help, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and it, is it like a general tool or it's probably specific to the person, right? Depending on what fuckery they have. Hmm. Uh, yes. And yes. And so, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so, so are there tools? Yes. And you're already practicing it when you said, um, I take a moment. So let's just stick with that. What does it mean for you personally when Emily takes a moment? What do you do in that moment? Um, what do I do? Let's see. Well, I close the door in my studio. Okay. Yes. <laughs> which, okay, so you, you create space. I create space, which uh -huh. when I've been looking at spaces, that's not going to happen for me. I have mm. to figure out different tools because some of the spaces I looked at, they don't have offices. They don't right. have a break room. It's a big space. And so that's something mm -hmm. that I'm going to have to change a habit that I'm going to have to change. Yeah. Um, I actually talked to my husband. I think okay. that's a thing. He, yes. Yeah. He's very analytical. And yeah. so he can, if I'm having, I like to not like crazy moments, but heated, passionate, he yeah. can kind of read through all of that. Right. And then say something rational for me to think about it's like oh he, yeah. he he's not always on my side he isn't I, yeah uh-huh I, I i imagine yeah, yeah and, which and, is and sometimes that pisses you off oh yeah <laughs> why didn't you feel this way yeah. why aren't you with me why aren't you team emily but yeah, it's yeah, good yeah. it is very healthy um yeah. and then i don't feel like i i don't know i don't feel like i play the victim I think mostly blaming. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's their fault. They've done this. 
um you know and then gossiping yeah. I have tried, I don't like, I don't know if it's gossiping just one-on-one, -on -one, but I do not like doing that in a big group of people. I don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So what are the tools? If I were working with you and anyone listening can practice this too, right? I really believe that when we feel a sense of threat, okay, when we feel really angry, if we're pissed off, it's because something feels like it's being taken away, either real or perceived threat. So maybe they're taking away your voice. Maybe they're taking away um, uh, access to power. Maybe they're taking away um, a paycheck. Maybe you're worried you're going to get fired. You know, like all these things is a sense of threat. And your nervous system and your body know exactly what you need. So even though you are not going, someone outside my salon office pissed me off. I need to take a moment of calm so that I can feel safe. You might not be saying that, but you are doing that by closing the door and creating a safe boundary within your little nook where you're looking around and you're like, nobody here is going to kill me in this moment, right? Yeah. So closing a door and, and feeling safe in a contained area is naturally what you're doing to regulate your emotions. Then your second go-to is to call Alex. Alex is a lot of things to you. He's your partner. And um, more times than not, I imagine you feel safe with him. Not all the time when he's not mm -hmm. on scene, Emily, but most of the time he is a safe person. Not only is he a safe person, and so his safety will help your nervous system mm -hmm. feel safe when you feel threatened. On top of that, his brain fires a little bit differently than yours. And even though sometimes how analytical and rational he is might drive you freaking batshit crazy. Mm -hmm. You also know that he can help to ground you when your rage or your anger get too big. And he can help pull you over into a, let's think about this differently, Emily, kind of space. Yeah. And, and I don't, and it's not like something bad happens or something happens mm -hmm. and immediately I'm calling him, you know, yeah. it's just, I just know that he is a very rational person that I can talk to maybe at the end of the yeah. day or yeah. their work week. Um, I, I do want to say there was a situation at work. Um, it was phone. It was the, the whole, what do you call that? Where it's that phone tag where it's, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the telephone game. Where rumors and yes, yeah. and it was it was a mess. It made me extremely upset. Uh -huh. Um, it was just little bits of information, and then it it went to a person, and it wasn't even something that was existing. Yeah. Um, and it's funny too because this is during COVID, where I have time. I'm living. I'm at my house. I'm at my house. I don't have to see these stylists every day for right now. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about whether or not to approach it later on or if it's even worth it. Um, and actually, I'm still in the middle of that, you know? Um, okay. So I want to come back to gossip because it's really, really common. So let's go there specifically. But I want to, before we lose the thread of what do you do when any of us slip into blaming or bullying and interrogating, right? Because we'll get to gossip, but I think a lot of us can say, oh yeah, I blamed somebody for something, right? Never, anytime your finger comes out like this, yeah. um, <laughs> right? Right, literally, and I mean, we both got, children, we both yeah. got children, 
So you know this comes out with our kids. Oh, completely. yeah. Oh, I can't right? wait for that, right? you know. Out, right? Oh, well, already. I know they're little, but you might be like, I told you to clean up your toys. Oh, yeah. Or I, I told you to stay in bed. Yeah. Or I told you to wash your hair. Yeah. Whatever it is, right? Um, that the most, not the most. So creating safe space, calling someone that we feel safe with, really important. The third one that at a nervous system level is required to return us into our best selves is that we have to move our bodies. So I don't mean you have to go to the gym every day. I don't mean you have to run 30 minutes every day. I mean that your nervous system has gone into fight or flight and you have to let go of that adrenaline and that cortisol. So if, if you're in the salon and a client or a colleague pisses you off, yes, close your door, do your thing, but before you see another client and you put any of that pissy energy on them, mm -hmm. you, you tell yourself, I got to get out and walk around the block. And you're going to walk out on Gleason and you're going to do one loop and you're going to go back to 77 and you're going to be like, am I kind enough to walk in the door? No, I need another block. And you're going to walk one more block around and then you're going to maybe write down, I'm still feeling really angry about this telephone chain gossip shit that's happening here. I'm going to name it. I'm going to write it down and it's, it's going to still be there. But when Lori walks in for her cut and color and I only get to see her every yeah. six weeks or every three months, I'm going to be like, how do I put that aside and show up to be present and engaging and fun and curious with Lori because Lori wants that as much as she wants her gray lawn. <laughs> well, it's right? your guys' time. That's your right. time. Right. And I, and I enjoy it. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. It's interesting to have stuff like that happen with the people you work with and then, you know, but still have to be, um, available for your clients, yeah. you know? Yes. And, and I want to say that uh, as someone outside your industry, but as someone who has gotten her hair cut for 40 some years, um, I, yes, the most important thing, I guess, is that when I walk out, I like what my stylist did with my hair, right? I mean, if mm -hmm. I don't, then I'm not going back. But I don't want a stylist who only cuts my hair good and helps me with color. I want a stylist who helps me feel comfortable while I sit there with you. Someone that I trust. If I sat in that chair and all you did, it, it, okay, so you cut and color my hair exactly the same. But one version, you show up like you currently do. Mm -hmm. And the other version, the whole time you're talking with me about how you can't stand the owner uh, and you can't stand I, yeah. the And do you know what my husband said to me? He is such a little shit. Right? If, you hate, sat, yeah. if you sat, if I had to listen to that while I was getting my hair, I don't care how good you make I don't. I never I, back. <laughs> I probably said stuff like that. Maybe minor, but it's, no, I haven't. Yeah. Okay, good. No. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, maybe I need to own this, you know? Okay, good. No, because, no, I okay. tell you, I just would stop coming to you. Yeah. Now, now, I, now that we have relationship, like, yeah. If, if the third or fourth time you cut my hair, you were just talking shit about people all the time. I, I don't like that. that. Yeah. But now that we have a relationship, you hold me accountable. I would say, Emily, you know, I, I, I can tell things are really different than the last time I was in here. Are you open to some feedback? And you'd probably say yes. And I would say, I am feeling a lot of resentment and bitterness. And would, that is not like you. I, I see, I wouldn't want to put that on you because 
that this is your job and yeah. that your your hair getting your hair done being pampering <laughs> that's your time yeah, yeah. it's like I yeah. want and then I'm like I feel like I would probably have to pay you like you know you know <laughs> Yeah. During the time, yeah. yeah. Um, but well, I understand. Well, we can talk about a trade, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I'm saying we have to. You're right. I don't want to. I don't want to be in my formal coaching role while you're cutting my hair. Yeah, that's yeah. Not, that doesn't honor either, either of our relationships. But I'm just saying, I will, if if other folks are watching, if other stylists are watching this, I would want them to check if they're asking their clients to hold their emotional space, because that's not fair. And I would ask them yeah. to look at, are they in a gossiping role? Because we all know that women go into the salon and we freaking chatter, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and gossip shows up everywhere. Oh yeah. It, it might be kind of prevalent in your industry. Yeah. Here's what, here's what John says in the book, and I'll just read a little bit. <clears throat> gossiping, this is page 24. Say only what you would say, directly to the person you're talking about. That's like rule number one. If you wouldn't say it, if you wouldn't say something about Lori in front of me, then don't say it behind my back. You know how Follow hard that is for people? Oh yeah, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Follow this rule. Follow this rule and your work won't remind you of high school. Yeah. Ignore, ignore it. And instead of focusing on the business or client's objectives, you will waste an enormous amount of time dealing with rumors and overall discontent. Yeah. I, so here's yeah. how we stop this, Emily. If you hear someone, like you said right now, you got this telephone thing going on, that if I'm like, oh my God, Emily, did you hear what people are saying about Casey? That you say, Lori, I'm grateful that I'm your friend and you feel comfortable talking to me. I am making a personal commitment to not participate in any gossip. Yeah. So unless we're talking about how we can be better colleagues or friends to this person, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And you just stop it. And you can't stop anybody else from gossiping, but you can say the link stops here. I will not participate in that. It's hard. Um, cause I feel I, I definitely would rather get to the root of the problem problem mm -hmm. with that person. The hard mm -hmm. part is others not wanting to do that because it's uncomfortable. You know, right. that's yeah. the hard part. And sometimes that bothers me because I am a person like, look, you need to talk to me directly. Mm -hmm. We'll figure this out together. That's how I like to resolve yeah. problems. And that's actually why I was so um, like attracted to your personality because you are a no bullshit person. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and as uh, are you which yeah. why like well you know what though when I first did your hair I was like oh god I'm like very intimidated <laughs> like I was, I was intimidated I was like holy cow um but it's been great because yeah it's like those are the people that I really like because they're very direct you know they're kind and it's like they just kind of skip out on all this bs and then they get to the root of it so the hard part for me is um that's when the interrogating, if I were yeah. to meet somebody, that's where the interrogating, yeah. cause it's like, I can't get the information from them. So mm -hmm. trying to figure out, um, I don't know if it's like, you call it softer mm. approach. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So in the book, we talk about using a short sword or a long sword. And I literally have, Oh yeah. <laughs> this is my short sword that I keep on the desk. And right now it's right beside my phone because that's what I'm, I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls. 
And what this reminds me, which is your soft approach, is the short sword skills say the most important thing if I'm going to have a meaningful exchange with you is that I have to first show up and listen and try to understand your position, yeah. reestablish trust and reestablish relationship. And it's right here by my phone because I've had two calls this week with leaders who flatly, I believe, are um, performative allies. I'm not sure that they actually are down with the cause of Black Lives Matter uh, and, yeah. and, looking, and looking at how their businesses uphold dominant culture. So I want to interrogate them. I want to blame them. I want to come out with the big sword that I have in my closet. Mm -hmm. It's a freaking samurai sword. And I want to be, F you, you are not doing enough. I don't find that I'm super effective when I'm doing that, Emily. If I'm attacking you, why are you going to listen to anything I have to say? Did you reach out to the, so did the companies call you or did you reach out to them about the Black Lives Matter? Um, both of them happen via LinkedIn okay. where I'm seeing all sorts of businesses come out and say, we stand with black lives matter. And if that's true, and if it's sincere, then holla freaking Leah, that's great. What we want to be looking for in accountability is what are those companies doing a week yeah. from now and a yeah. month from now and six months from now, right? Right now, you know, these large companies are not talking about small businesses like you and I, if I have 10,000 employees, but all, everyone on my board and in my C-suite are white men, that communicates quite a bit about who I value in my company, right? So I have been engaging on social media with them and I invited them, would you be willing to have a call? So that's me being softer. And then me staying softer is that when I get them on the call, I don't say, I think you're a phony piece of shit, right? Because what use is that? I say, tell me more about your business. Tell me more about your organization. Tell me more about, you know, I saw that you're, you're standing with Black Lives. Tell me how you're trying to do that because I'm trying to do that too. So I'm going to lead with direction. And only once I have that relationship, do I have the ability to say like I would with you, Emily, do you, do, is this a good time for me to share what could be a painful observation? What um, now, I mean, now you've totally you haven't completely changed your direction, but you are adding Black Lives Matter to your business, right? Well, yes and no. So yes, my business has been talking about fuckery for six years. Yeah. And yes, the book touches on racism. Mm -hmm. If you go to the appendix, it says racism and fuckery. Um, If you go to Notorious Fuckery, it says sexism because that's what I've experienced, right? I can't talk about racism from a personal perspective, but I can sure as hell tell you what it's like to be sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. I realize I have not been talking about racism enough because I've been scared as a white woman to know how to talk about it. So do I want clients to come to me to learn how to be a better ally. I love it that they trust me and I will share every book and speaker and resource that I have, but I do not feel like I am yet in the position to take money to help clients. Like if you're like, Lori, I want to be a stronger ally. Can I pay you to help me be a stronger ally? I would say, Emily, I am so glad that you're asking this question. I will have a conversation with you about what I'm learning but I'm not going to bill you for that because I'm not an expert on that yet. So let's talk about what we're learning together. If you want to pay me 
pay me to talk about how your puffery of maybe perfectionism or conflict avoidance or blaming, how that might get in the way of you showing up for Black Lives Matter. That I can help you with. So, and then we were just talking earlier, you had just updated your blog. Yeah. Um, now how, what is your company doing now? Like, where are you guys at? Um, not, um, and, yeah. and you don't have to wrap it all with the black lives yeah. matter, but compared yeah. to 10 years ago, where is your company mm. at and what do you want? Oh, that's a really, really great question. And anybody listening, <laughs> yeah. anybody listening should write that question down. Where is your company now? And what, what do you want? Um, it reminds me of, of my coach, Sierra Pressler, at, right at the beginning of COVID, she said, as your company evolves in response to this crisis, the crisis of COVID, listen to your business. And I have that on a sticky right here in my office, listen to your business. Because with COVID, we know how that infected you and your industry too. Hmm. We're not doing business the same. So I've been listening to my business with COVID and I'm still listening to my business during the pandemic of exposed racism. And mm -hmm. one of the things I'm learning is I, right now, I am mainly sending anybody that contacts me to my black and brown colleagues who have been doing equity work for a long time and saying, thank you so much. I don't want your dollars. I want you to invest in these black and brown leaders in Portland doing really critical work because that's where we all need to show up, right? So right now I'm really evaluating how I show up and how the business shows up. Um, I am take, I have a new client who's a small business owner who's like, I need to look at, at my own puffery so that as I do this work for social justice, I'm not bringing my baggage mm -hmm. out into the protest, right? So if people want to talk about how their puffery is getting in the way of how they can take bigger risks personally and professionally, I am down with that. If people want to grow their self-awareness because they're like, I'm realizing how hard it was for me to talk to my team about COVID and I don't even have the words to talk about racism and, and yeah. coming up, yeah. right, coming up with a statement. I can't help you craft your statement, but I can help you talk about, okay, boss, why is it so hard for you to have an all staff meeting with your 10 client, with your 10, 10 employees or your hundred employees? Why is it so hard for you to talk about race? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what's yeah. harder than you. So those are the conversations that I'm really inviting and I'm trying not to move too fast and decide mm -hmm. this is what radius is doing. Right. Because I think that, um, I would get out over the end of my skis. And so I'm really trying to listen and pay attention and listen to my business so that I can strategically evolve my business with it. I, how about, um, how about you? I want to hear what, how you're defining your business and how it's, well, evolved. it's funny. I've been, um, it's so funny, you know, talking about this. So with the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, definitely me and Alex discussing it. One mm -hmm. of the things is it freaks me out about how the hell am I going to talk, talk to my children about this? Yeah. We're, we're white. We're in yeah. a white community. Um, most of our friends are white and it scares me. I'm going to get teary eyed. It, yeah. it scares me that, mm -hmm. uh, just not being able to say that yeah. with my kids. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I, I feel awful for these people. Mm -hmm. Awful. Um, 
but that doesn't mean that I'm not doing research. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting to cry on the show. This is the first time I've <laughs> the show. But yeah, I, I thought about it. Like I did this post on Instagram. You know, everybody's doing a different way of protesting. Yeah. I don't have any right. I feel like because white privilege, mm-hmm. white female. I have no business to post, constantly post about Black Lives Matter because mm-hmm. I can do more for myself mm-hmm. by doing the research. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and I feel that my voice right now, I guess like my voice right now isn't strong. Mm-hmm. I have, and I feel like I have no place to post it. Not because it's, um, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Does that make sense? All of it makes sense. All of it makes sense. And I want to acknowledge that um, while most podcasters don't have like cry online as part of what they're going for, it is so consistent to who everyone who knows you knows you to be, and we know you to be real, right? And so when, when you put words around, I don't know how to talk to my kids about this, you are naming what thousands of mothers are feeling okay this is not an emily thing and so i love to see you show up and and i can tell you that the spark of what happened when i started really doing the research around black lives matter was um when i believe it was philando and sadly there are too many black men who have been killed by police and so i need to go and look this up but um but the gentleman who was killed a couple years ago while he was in his car and, and, and it was video. And I can tell you that I fell on my knees because it really hit me that I have never in my life thought I need to tell my children that policemen might be dangerous. And I have never in my life, when my kids are just 12 and 15 now, they were younger then. I have never in my life thought when my kids start driving, I'm going to have to tell them exactly what to do when a policeman pulls them over or they can be killed, right? So that's our white privilege, not just as women, but as mothers. Yeah. And when I think about what it must be like for every Black mother and father and auntie and grandma to watch their children or their loved ones walk out the door and know the real harm that can come to them, I feel like I come undone. Yeah. And so... Yes, I totally understand what you're talking about. And here's where I went to, this is where I would, I play coach, but do it now I do it as your friend. When you say, I don't feel like my voice is strong here. I absolutely know what you mean. And I think specifically you mean, I don't feel like my voice is strong in talking about race. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like my voice is strong in knowing how to mother my white sons. But anybody who knows Emily, Mazur, am I saying your name right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's my maiden name, but I've kept <laughs> oh, it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, it's actually, you know, it's so funny. My whole name is Emily K. Mazur Bazer because I couldn't look okay. at Mazur. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But anyone who knows you knows that you have one hell of a strong voice, right? <laughs> no one who knows you are like, she's so timid. I hope she finds herself one day. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, maybe you show up differently in your other circumstances. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) But you are a woman with fire in your belly and a whole lot of passion. And right now, that fiery, provocative, assertive woman does not yet know how to show up in a Black Lives Matter space 
that I can effing promise you, you keep doing the work and you will be able to better. Yeah. But you don't know how to do it. And right now, if you try to show up that way, you're going to say really stupid things. Well, it's going to sound false. It will sound false. It won't be... It won't be me. It'd be like, Hey, look at me on Instagram. This is what I'm yeah. doing. And it's like, you know what? Yeah. No, I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that, but mm-hmm. I am going to do the research, which I really liked the newsletter. Um, the newsletter that you sent out with some resources okay. to check out. Yeah. I also like the, I, is it the Oregon? It's the women one here. Oh, in oh Oregon Women's Health Network. Yeah. Now, are you going to go to any of those events? Um, Yes, I'm a regular attender of anything that Delaray does. And when oh, we still cool. had the beauty of um, meeting in person, I mean, there's a ton of networking things to do in this town and a ton of women's leadership things. And I can tell you that um, showing up with Delaray at Oregon Women's Health Network events was the priority on my calendar because Delaray knows how to create gatherings and commu- mm-hmm. create community like nobody I know. Um She's got a lot of online activities coming up, and one of them is how we show up and are a better ally. Um, I think some of them around looking at our trauma. And Mm -hmm. if people are like, I don't understand why talking about our trauma has anything to do with Black Lives Matter, it's because institutionalized racism is traumatic. And not just for Black people, for all of us. And internalized racism and how you and I grew up in this country, the way that racism affects us we don't even know how it affects us, right? So if, if you had cancer in your body, you'd be like, hey, doctor, help me get rid of the cancer. If we're like, I have white privilege in my body, we need to show up and be like, how do I acknowledge my white mm-hmm. privilege? Because we're not going to get rid of it. We will still have it. It's how do we use it for mm-hmm. good? So yes, I will be showing up on at some of the Owen events, and I think that they're going to do another ally one in the next week or two. Um, and then, so what about these groups like uh, for yourself for your company what oh, are yeah. you going to do now and then are you going to include race into that too um well i have been part of a six-month um anti-racist cohort and that's through jor consulting j-o-r-e and my teacher is rebecca greenidge and they run cohorts and um the next one they're offering is until september so i know a lot of friends are like i need this work now yeah. and so like you they're reading books and they're having conversations. I think for those of us, for, for white women like you and me, because we can only talk about ourselves and our immediate yeah. circles. Yes, we need to read and yes, we need to listen. And I would also say having conversations like we're doing right now and actually talking about race is the best thing we can be talking yeah. about. It's the best thing and it's hard. And if we're with our white suburban mom friends, if we're with other stylists, we're not showing up and going, I want to have a conversation about race because I haven't figured out. You say, I don't know how I'm going to talk to my kids about this. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And they're going to be like, well, this is what I did with my 10-year-old. This is what I did with my 16-year-old. This is ha- what Rachel Cargill says that we should do, right? And that we just really start talking about mm-hmm. it amongst ourselves. And that's the most important work. Um, is Radius going to take on anti-racist work and doing work around racism? Right now, my answer to that is I will continue to refer people to the equity experts that I know who are black and brown women. And that the paid work that Radius does is still evolving. And I'm not sure I can answer what that is. Um, I think, Emily, about a percentage of my profits continually supporting 
black organizations mm -hmm. and leaders and businesses and not like just right now for the month of June, but like always yeah. um, as my, as my privilege continuing to give back. So for sure, it's going to include some of that. I can tell you one way it shows up is that we have been and will continue to be committed to hiring marginalized groups. So without hardly exception, everyone that contracts with Radius that I pay, I don't have employees, but I have people that subcontract with me, are women-owned business, are queer-owned businesses, are black and brown leaders. Um, and so I've been trying to put my money into the pockets of those people for a long time. And this just makes me want to turn that up and be even more deliberate about the contractors that I'm working with and who I'm paying. I love that. Um, so now with, where can people find you if they want information? Yeah, um, they can find me uh, online. Our website is uh, Radius ECD. That's executive coaching and development, radiusecd.com. Um, I may, I'm pretty active on social, but right now most of my activity is on LinkedIn because I realized that I was being pretty outspoken already on Instagram mm -hmm. and on Facebook, but that I was playing it a little safe on LinkedIn because those are my professional networks. Yep. So at Lori Everly on LinkedIn is where I'm posting most about what I'm learning. And then I'm on Instagram as that puffery lady. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then um, and it, if people want to um, send me questions, um, I um, am, have them text me 503-891-1200 and text me. I saw you on Emily's podcast. I have some questions. Can we talk? And I will make time to talk with you. And then your book, where can we find your book? Well, um, I, I am happy to say that you can order it online and oops, I'm covering up my camera. Um, I wish, well, it's currently available on Amazon, and we know okay. that Amazon um, is not the best leader in social justice, but if you want, you can go to your favorite local independent bookstore, and you can say, I want to order Fuckery by Lori Everly and John Sable, and it has what's called an ISBN number, which means that any bookstore can order it. So okay. if people don't want to buy it from Amazon, you can, you can buy it anywhere. Um, well, I have the book. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah. I, I was only able, I've only gotten to the first chapter and it's so mm -hmm. funny. This is hilarious. I'm looking at chapter six leadership. Uh -huh. and the first sentence says you can't skip to this chapter. <laughs> it's like a video game. You don't get to move to the next level until you've mastered the prior ones. I was like, shit. <laughs> I love that story so much. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was. It was like, oh, he's, he, you guys. Uh, like, I'm on to you. I'm on yeah. to you. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading the rest of the book. And then um, you're also on YouTube, right? I am. That's new. Um, because That's a new COVID uh, variation of Lori because I was so missing talking to people and I've been doing a ton of writing and posting a lot on my blog on the website but I'm like you know I think I'm actually either equally effective or more effective in person like this mm -hmm. and so I let go of my fear I was scared I'm not going to be like oh I love doing videos I was so scared and I realized 
I had to face my fuckery. I was worried that it wouldn't be perfect. I was worried that I didn't have a great production crew. And in the same way that you're like, screw it, I'm having a podcast. I don't need to have all the right equipment, right? right. I'm going to have a podcast. And I said, I'm going to start talking one video. I posted one yesterday and I have shit in my teeth. And <laughs> I was like, I shouldn't post that. And I'm like, no, I really like the things I say. If people don't like that I have freaking spinach in my teeth, fuck them. Yeah. Well, I love, I love watching the videos because it's, yeah, I love it. I mean, you're very, you seem very approachable. Do you know what I mean? Like calm, approachable. You're funny too. Um, I like the deck, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Picking out all the bad habits in a deck is great. Which do you guys have, uh, do you guys actually have a deck, like a created deck? Well, we, I have been thinking about doing it professionally. What I currently did is I, I printed out the appendix and then I cut them up and then I laminated I them. Oh. I'm totally old school, right? I know you yeah, like to yeah. work too. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so I just laminated my deck and so I am truly drawing, but um, it's not available in stores. Okay. <laughs> well, you guys, um, well, thank you, Lori, for being part of the oh, show. Yeah. I, I've learned so, I love it. I love it. Thank you. This is really important to me. Um, I'm, I'm excited to learn more by reading your book and yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think there's anything. Do you need have anything else to say? No. I think I we covered a say, lot. We covered a lot. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for your thoughtful questions. And thank you for creating positive impact where you touch the world, which is in your freaking stylist chair at the salon. And that all of us just need to show up with our best strengths wherever we're working and show love and have hard conversations. So thank you for doing the work. Oh, thanks, Lori. Okay, I'll yeah. talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, guys, uh, Lori and I covered a lot of material. I love Lori. And it's true. As soon as she sat in my chair, I was like, hmm. She's very direct. She knows what she wants. And she frankly scares me. I am truly intimidated. But within the first couple of times that I've done her hair, there's something about her that I was completely attracted to or something that I gravitated towards. And that is, she's a doer. She makes things happen, not only for herself and her career, but also for her family. She's a go-getter. And I can kind of tell, I haven't, I didn't even ask her this, but I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, because it, she does remind me of me. It seems that she enjoys taking on challenges and learning from them. So Lori, if you're listening to our episode, you can go ahead and comment on my Instagram page saying, yes, Emily, that's absolutely true. You are completely right. So I don't want to put any words into your mouth. And, you know, as for the conversation that we were discussing about stylists and clients and stylists being negative or bowed mouthing others, I don't like that. It makes me feel yucky. I do not like to make my clients feel yucky. And I certainly don't use my room for that. I don't like it. So my room is calming space. It's very light colors. There's a lot of plants. And I want it to be very harmonious for myself as well as anybody who walks in. And as for identifying my own bad habits, so I haven't finished the book Fuckery yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. And like I said before, I can't skip to the leadership part, which I do want to become a leader. So now I'm going to have to really read the whole thing. 
but I was looking at the bad habits in the back. Now this is just a few of mine. <laughs> I don't, I'm not gonna go into detail about all the other ones. So here are my big ones. Big one is people pleasing. I am a people pleaser. I like to make people happy. Second one for sure, and I have to check myself, recheck myself, is overcommitting. I am a yes person because I wanna do it all, but I realize that I can't, and I get really excited about things, and people do ask me, hey, have you started the podcast yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't, but I eventually do, because I just did, but overcommitting. I can be completely defensive if I feel that I'm being threatened or my, um, I don't know if it's like I'm being attacked personally, I will automatically become defensive, which I keep myself in check with about that. If I'm pissed, I can be very dominating. Um, if I'm not liking the results or like I was saying, the telephone tag, which was a bunch of BS, but we did figure it out. I can be very dominating for sure. I do a little bit of commiserating. Like I said, I don't like to be a very negative person. And I feel like commiserating is just constantly being negative and never wanting to get out of that. The ranting part, uh, like I said in episode four, poor Georgie in the break room used to hear my soapbox moments, which I do not do anymore. I haven't ranted in a long time. And I know I don't use a break room. So there's that. And then I've done this before is I will completely disengage. I will. If I'm not getting to where I need to go or the situation isn't happening or it's not healthy for at least for me, I don't ghost people anymore. I used to do that. I used to think that was kind of fun. Nope. That was in my 20s, guys. I'm in my 30s, my like later 30s. So I do not ghost people, but I will completely shut down and I will just stop talking. So something that I need to work on. So that is my fuckery deck, or at least some of it. And I really want to recognize my bad behaviors so that I can learn from them and become a better person as well as a better leader. So if you guys read the book, I would love to have a discussion with you about maybe your fuckery deck. I would love that. And just uh, helping each other learn and grow. And as for Black Lives Matter, I had put a hold on my podcast because I wasn't sure as to the direction I wanted to go. Like, do we discuss it? Do we not discuss it? And before I do the interviews, I actually set up a time where I call my guests and I ask them questions about their life. And the two questions that I ask are, do you want to discuss COVID and how it affected your business? Second one is, do you want to discuss Black Lives Matter? And honestly, there is no way that I can do a show right now and not discuss it. There isn't. It's a very sensitive subject, and I'm going to be honest, it is a very sensitive subject for me because I'm white. My family is white. My husband is white. My children are white. Most of my friends are white. And I'm not an expert. But I am willing to put myself in a vulnerable position on this podcast to talk to others who are a part of that. I want to listen, to have a conversation, to grow, and find out ways that I can help. So I'm very excited for the guests we have coming up. It makes me nervous because I feel that I'm very good with interviews, but with the subject of Black Lives Matter, 
I'm afraid of wording things incorrectly, tripping over my words, or accidentally offending someone. Uh, but so far, the women that I've reached out to have been very gracious and kind, and I'm really looking forward to having them on the show. So if you guys are interested in learning more about Lori Eberly, which thank you so much, Lori, for being on the show, and you guys, I hope you've enjoyed episode five, please visit our website at www.radiusecd.com and check out our book, or like she said, you could go to your local bookstore and support the local businesses here in Portland. And then if you would like to find more about Black Lives Matter, you'll find links and blog posts on Lori's Everly's website as well. Well, you guys, that's it for now. So be safe, be healthy, and above all, be hopeful. This is your therapy session with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mazur, AKA Portland hairstylist show written by emily mazur sponsored by ziba hub the career app for beauty professionals where you can find jobs explore events and build community and editing by 127 media house 